0: Out of sure, curiosity, you guys have nothing but the blood on that sheet? <laughs> nothing but the blood. On <laughs> you know it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> passage that we're reading from isaiah the next part says that the word of the lord when it goes for, forth is like the rain and the snow it produces what god sent it out to do this next song really speaks to that, that god uses us to speak forth his words and it actually produces change mm-hmm. so that should encourage us as we minister to people to each other and as we share the gospel with others that god will do his work mm-hmm. and powerless, and all the lost and lonely, and all the thieves will come confess, and know that you are holy, and know that you are holy. are content. And all who feel unworthy, and all who hurt with nothing left, will know that you are holy, will know that you
1: Father, as we come to opening your word and sharing this morning, we ask that through your Holy Spirit you would open our hearts and minds to receive it, to receive what you have for each of us today. And Father, as we continue in in this part of the service again, asking for all the distractions just to be set aside, that we might focus on you and your word and your Holy Spirit working in us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I'm going to be sharing from Acts uh, chapter 17. Um, well, I'll kind of just explain as I go through this, uh, as I go along through this this morning, how I got where I am this morning. And, um, but just I uh, wanted to share with you these uh, first nine verses of Acts chapter 17. This is Paul and Silas, as they're in Thessalonica. And it says, Now when they had passed through am- 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 Amphipolis and Apollonia, I, I'm hoping that's right. Uh, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in as he was, as his custom, on the th- <clears throat> and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded And joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, and taking some wicked, I just said that, Uh, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, referring to Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and And some of the uh, <clears throat> some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, "These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of saying, saying There is another king, Jesus and the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as a security from Jason, and the rest, they let them go. I guess that was like collecting bail or, or bond money or something, you know. But uh, the, the verse that I want to focus on here this morning is that they were turning the world upside down. Um, just keep that in mind as, as, I, as I get going here. They turned the world upside down. Set that aside for a moment and just keep it you know, there in, the, in, the, in the, the wing, so to speak grass is greener on the other side is it not <laughs> i mean how many times have you driven down a a, a farm road or a, a country road and you see the the cow stretching its neck out to get that grass on the other side of the fence and right behind it is some of the greenest grass you've ever seen you know uh, it just you know doesn't make sense but you know i understand the cow is focused it's got tunnel vision boom that's what i see but you know we're the same way except that, In our context, it's really part of our fallen nature. You know, we're always looking over the horizon for something that we don't have here that we want to have. And we see it over there and we think, oh, if I could just have that, or if I could just do that, or if we just did this, or if I won the $7,000 a week publishing Clearinghouse. Now, you notice how I did that. I didn't say the lotto. Yeah, okay. I just... Always looking for something more, basically. Personal growth. In something, as well. People looking to, you know. Improve their 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 personal outlook on on life. All the self help books. I, I remember, you know, if we you know back when we had a Barnes and Noble, uh, we go you, know, you go in there and you go into the the some of the. Uh, sections and there's that huge, I mean huge, self-help section telling you if you just did this, you would feel this way or if you did, you know, whatever. And uh, sometimes that same kind of feeling gets pushed over into church. If we only had or if we just did or the latest things. I've got a, a, an old tape set that was uh, given to me. Uh, I don't think we threw it out this last cleaning house, just just because it's a reminder of what not to do, uh, of how to get past that 150 or 200 people barrier. You know, and that's a formula. If you do this, this, and this, you'll you'll you know get past this number. Or if if you uh, build this kind of a facility, or if you if you if you do this kind of a survey or whatever it is, and, and we, we we're looking for a way to implement some program, some methodology that will cause you know, growth in the body of Christ. And, and basically, I realized that the word that I was, was kind of hunting for here was revival. Now, let's think about it for just a moment. There is nothing wrong with desiring revival. I want to start with that. Make sure you grasp that. There's nothing wrong with desiring to see revival. And revival has got, you know, uh, different connotations to different people as, as far as a definition goes. But you know, the best definition, and interestingly enough, is kind of like the dictionary definition. You know, going back to old Webster or something, you know. Uh, renewed attention or interest in something. In other words, redirected interest. Oh, yes. And you revive your thinking. You revive the way you look at something. But also a new presentation of something old can also be a revival. Something that is old that's presented fresh. Okay? It's so presented new again. And I thought of... Of various kinds of revivals that I have seen in my brief lifetime, compared to you know our history, and uh, well, I've seen clothes that I threw away that came back in style, and uh, and more so for women than for guys, but but uh, you know flares, barrel, bell bottoms, you know uh, capris, you know I, I don't know what they call them now. There's a different name for them, isn't there? Pedal, pedal, they were pedal pushers before. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, and why would they be called pedal pushers? Does anybody know why? I happen to know. Yes, it's because they don't get caught in your bicycle, uh, in the in the chain. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's that's what I heard. <laughs> and fact, and the fact that somebody else knew it, it must be true. Um, but we can also we can see revivals of various kinds in the sense of, of music revivals uh, there's, uh I, I was amazed, you know, I got into my son's car, and he let me borrow the keys. And I got into my son's car, and I turned on the key, and, and, and on the radio was uh, swing music and Frank Sinatra music. And I'm sitting there thinking, whoa. And he said, oh, yeah, a lot of the kids listen to it. Uh, you know, and that shows you that I'm out of touch, you know, you know, because I grew up listening to swing music and stuff like that because of my dad who was a, a band era man and played one of the big bands in the, in the 30s and 40s, and, and so I grew up with that, but when, I got, when, when I'm of age of, of thinking about music and dancing and stuff like that, 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 was, on the, that was gone and we were into something different. So I thought it was interesting, you know, there's been, and there's actually the terminology, the revival of swing music, and I, I, interesting thought, but when we're talking about revival in the church, I think we are looking at two things, one is to, to reignite something that has been kind of set aside, where we've lost our interest in it or something, and, and and, and it, our interest has been rekindled and we're revived in enthusiasm and excitement to seek the face of God and to seek the Lord. And, and the idea of also, though, a new presentation of something old, in a sense, we're always sharing, and I love this picture for me. This is why I kept that part of the definition there. The old, old story. I know that's a hymn song, and it's not a scripture, but it's still a reality. We're, we never tire... Of the old story, and so uh, as, as each generation comes through, it's like presenting a, a, the old story again in a new you know as, as, as something somebody else is hearing it sometimes for the first time. In fact, I know people who have heard things about church all of their lives, but have never heard the gospel. and so revival is when we see in the church. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll say you can have revival personally. By the way, side note, personal revival it should be on a constant flow. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to happen because of our fallen nature. We're still battling with the, the, the spirit. I know that the, the, there, there's kind of high points and low points, but the desire of our heart should be to seek the face of God in such a way that it always has the freshness of joy in reading the word, in seeking his face, in coming to to fellowship together, and and all of the things that we do to seek out the Lord. The opportunity, seeking the opportunity to to put ourselves in a place where we can hear his word, listen to his his word, i.e. through praise music and worship and this type of thing. Uh, And and so uh, there should be that constant revival, by the way, that comes back to Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. Why? So that you can be transformed, i.e. sanctified, i.e. revival going on. Okay, It all comes together with that. So there's the idea of personal revival going on. You can have revival in a congregation, meaning just as, as things come together, it, it clicks and, and, and the Holy Spirit, as he moves, in our lives brings us together in a unity that is, is, is stronger than it has been and the encouragement of one another to each other and the building up of the body and people expressing their gifts and and it becomes a, a life-giving, if you will, encouragement one to another and it affects your friends, your neighbors and others and sometimes you'll see a great church Splurt during that time of growth, you know, and we would say now it's not only affecting the body in rekindling, but it's affecting the the the, the non-believer as well as bringing them in. And we can also see seasons in our history of our, of the church where the church and I and I kind of went through this before a couple weeks ago, but but uh, the church meaning the whole body of Christ, the 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 global body of Christ. Sometimes there has been seasons in our in our history. Where there's been great portions of the of the church in revival at the same time, and so I was uh, looking at this, and it, it just it was something that just trapped me in my thinking for the last couple of weeks, and and I wanted to share some of this with you today. Um, I'm I'm just going to limit myself to, I guess what you would basically call modern church history, say 1700s on. As far as some seasons or cycles of, of of revival in the churches, and as soon as I, I sat down and was rereading some of the stuff that I hadn't even thought about since Bible college uh, and, and and looking at and, 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 and I have to tell you it was it was kind of in, in invigorating to just to see these seasons of of, of God moving in, in, in great ways in large areas, uh, 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 geographical areas. And, uh, and I realized, isn't it interesting, though? We have a generation that just boom and it gets on fire. And then uh, uh, three decades later, a generation later, it's kind of going like this. And then vroom, it goes again. And, then, and, it, and, it, and I thought, you know, Judges just re- keeps repeating itself. If you're familiar with the book of Judges, you'll see that that's a pattern of the church over and over and over again. We, we get on fire for God and we seek his face. We throw away all of the idols, whatever they might be, in a sense, and focus on God. And then there's the, the time where, where that falls away and it seems like, man, if something doesn't happen very, very soon within the framework of the church, there might not be a church. Now, I've heard that said. I want you to know that will never be the case. The Church of God will stand against all things, including the gates of hell. Period. There will never be a point in time where the Bride of Christ is is absent from. Period. Period. Okay. So when you hear that, you can understand what the, what they're saying. Though, they're saying, "Man, things look dismal for the Church right now." And we that, we could jump backwards and go to. Uh, the the uh, 17 late 1720s uh, 1730s and what is traditionally called the first Great Awakening, referring to especially the United States, but it, it involved uh, Europe, uh, Great Britain especially, uh, other places. You know, but the the thing was happening was there was a if you will an awakening, uh, uh, the old old story people waking up to it, you know, uh, hearing it sometimes in a sense for the first time. And there was a movement of the gospel being you know, proclaimed all around. And we, we know some of our, our uh, uh, I'm cautious how I say Bible heroes in a sense, but some of our, our prominent men that we look back at in, in church history. And, and, and I, if, I miss, if, I, if I didn't say Jonathan Edwards first, I would be amiss because interestingly enough, Jonathan Edwards, absolutely brilliant man. I mean, he was in the university, at eleven or twelve years old. I can't remember what the age was, but he was, you know, just phenomenally brilliant man. And quite interestingly, uh, in some of the, the the East Coast universities, he still touted as, and uh, in in, in the, and especially in the Northeast, he still touted in the context of, of 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 a great philosopher, in a sense, a great man of vision and speaking outside of the church but he was a devoted man of god very instrumental during that time john wesley two opposites in some ways in some of their theology but absolutely on fire for the lord whitfield george whitfield another there was just there were there's a list of them that goes on and it was it was just an exciting time in the church, and and things were literally kind of almost like exploding in the sense of uh, congregations would just uh, there would be people that would be weeping as they discovered their sin, there would be people uh, that were rejoicing as they re- felt the relief from their sin. Uh, it was a time of, of 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 excitement in the church, and uh, so the Great Awakening, the, uh, the First Great Awakening. There were several other, at least six more times uh, through up into the nineteen early 1900s that, that people label as uh, resurgence, revival. There was a Second Great Awakening. In fact, the Second Great Awakening, it's interesting, uh, it happens right at the end of the 1700s and into the very beginning of the 1800s. And... You'd think, wait a minute, it was just 1790, 1760 or oh, a generation plus. The biggest thing that had happened at that time was this, the, the Revolutionary War. And after the Revolutionary War, chaos, really. You know, We don't realize our church history doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the chaos that was going on as the states tried to figure out how they were going to interrelate with each other, how they were going to pay their soldiers, the people that lost uh, the, the family members, all these kinds of things. But there, and, and there was a great, uh, I will say, mental depression. And they talked about the bars being full and the churches being empty. And it was interesting. Groups of pastors started getting together and just praying. God, we pray for you to move. They didn't have, you know, they, they, they didn't stop, you know, they didn't change anything as to what they, they just prayed. And uh, a number of things came out of, out of the, the, the Second Great Awakening and, and some amazing things. People were changed. Groups were, were, there was groups of people changed. There were cities that were changed. And it was an interesting time too because if you went in, in, into the Ohio Valley and, and, and in that, that area on the, the west side of Appalachia, so you've got the East Coast, Appalachian, then Ohio and Kentucky and, and, and down that, you know this side, and, 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 and coming into the river areas there. Those areas were just then being populated. Lexington, Kentucky, had 1,800 people at the time. That was a big, the big city. OK And corruption. There was just no law and order. It was every man for himself. There was one place, uh, uh, a River Rogue, I can't remember the name of the city, but they, they ended up calling it uh, Red, a Red River, and they called it uh, Rogue Rogue's Den, the, the, the nickname, Rogue's Den, or, or, or Rogue's Haven, or Rogue's Harbor. Those were the different. And you know what a rogue is, right? He's a, he's a crook, a criminal, a swindler, OK? In fact. Some of the earliest mentions of vigilantes in the United States came during that time, and the vigilantes lost. And the, the the rogues, the criminals, won. There was literally no justice. There was no courts. There was no law and order other than what prevailed as to what you decided you could do with your own strength and your gun or whatever else. And uh, And I will tell you, it was sexually perverted. It was... Uh, everything that you can think of in the way of of ugliness and and debauchery was involved in in that whole valley during that time. It was an ugly place to be. Rogue's Den was one of the cities that was changed during the Second Great Awakening. It became a safe place to walk in the streets. What happened? Well, there was a revival. There was a, an awakening. There was a renewal of, of a resurgence of, 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 of the church and the people praying. And there was the, the word camp meeting came out of that era. The first camp meetings. I want to share with you one of them, just, just interesting in the sense of just briefly. Cane Ridge, Kentucky. Cane Ridge revival. McGreedy and some others. McGreedy was a Presbyterian uh, pastor. There was a couple of Methodist pastors. There was a couple of other groups. They they coming from different angles. Some of them theological, but they came together and they started preaching in various areas. One place they actually preached. There wasn't a church. They preached in the field. In fact, even the idea of stump preaching from a stump. They saw it down a down tree, stood on the stump, and there was their, their platform. One of the meetings in, in, I think it was April of 03, 1803, I'm, I'm not sure of the exact date now, but there was a, a planned meeting, and they literally decided, man, they're going to be preaching literally 24-7. They're just going to be going around the clock. They're going to be taking turns, and there's not going to be a time when something's not being said in the reference to the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God and just, or if just reading the Word of God bathed in prayer. Low estimates of people attending, 12,000. High estimate, 25,000. Who knows? Nobody was keeping records. When you figure Lexington, which was uh, right away, quite a ways away, was only 1,800 people. You had people coming clear up from Louisiana. You had people coming down from Ohio and coming to hear the gospel. Times in the 1850s, again, across Europe, in London, other places, Spurgeon part of that. Um, There's uh, the 1900s, two or three different points of of reference of revivals uh, going on It went on in the early 1900s. And so, as I was reading through the Great Awakening histories, I realized I was kind of like like reading the Book of Acts. I have to tell you, it was kind of interesting because you just saw the 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 power of of just well, just I'll get to that in a second. Just just amazing to see the the, the again the people and the groups of people, uh, cities, geographical areas changing. And sometimes we're talking. Uh, just as in the book of Acts, globally at times, I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a great outburst into Asia, then there's a, a move into Europe, and then there's a move into North Africa, and then, you know, all these areas where God's word was going, and, and, and thousands of people coming to know the Lord. And uh, in some of these revivals that I was just talking about, great revivals in Asia and in China, India, uh, in in South America, in Africa, in North America, Australia. I'm only missing Antarctica. <laughs> On a continental context, <laughs> you know, uh, and and uh, Europe uh, as well, you know, and and we look at all of this and see that there's just these awesome seasons, and I and I and so what that prompted was for me to decide well I want to go back and and uh, I just want to look at a couple of things in the book of acts I, I ended up sitting down and 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 just reading through the book of acts. And by the way, I want to encourage you. I know I've said this several times, but there are there, there's when you have the opportunity and you have an extra hour or two and you just, you know, it's one of those things where you're not sure what to do with it. I always I always equated it to this. The power goes out. No television. You know, all you've got is a is a flashlight. And you're sitting there, oh, man, what am I going to do? And you look and you think and you go through the magazines. Gosh, I've read all of those. And here's the Bible sitting here. Okay? I have to tell you that I have done that myself, so I, I can't do anything but plead guilty in the sense of having some spare time and not even crossing my mind to think I'd just sit down and read a book of the Bible. But to read the book of Acts, 28 chapters, it's just a few pages. It really doesn't take that long just to read it straight through and get the whole story. And as I was going through I was I was just I was thinking, man, look at all the exciting things that happened in the book of Acts. Book chapter 1. Christ's charge to the, to, to the apostles. You know, go and stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, you know, and, and you'll go out preaching and declaring, you know, but just wait for the Holy Spirit. And, and in the ascension, you know, of Christ. And, and on chapter 2, Pentecost. Can't get much more exciting than what happened at that point. And we all know on Pentecost, the day of, of, of the church, in a sense, the birthing of the church in a literal form right then and there was the, the idea of, of, of the Holy Spirit coming on the 120 in the upper room and the, and the excitement of preaching the gospel, Peter preaching the gospel the first time, all of that chapter four uh they're all filled with the Holy Spirit again after going through some tough times with the with the city uh, administrator so to speak the the sanhedrin and the and the Jewish uh council and 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 stuff and 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 they go back to the to pray together and they ask God to give them boldness and that's exactly what happened and they went out in and, and boldness and the word of God got arrested again um, so uh chapter Eight I think of well chapter six the 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 uh, Stephen, full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people uh Chapter eight Philip preaching in Samaria again with signs and wonders uh and Ananias uh uh and in Damascus, disciple, uh, the Lord spoke to him and and uh and in chapter 10, uh, uh, parallel visions with Cornelius and Peter, where God speaks to Cornelius and Peter, basically the same things, and causes them to, to come together and bring the, 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 the Gentiles into the, into the gospel in a big way. And, in, and that's in chapter 10. Chapter, gosh, chapter 13, um, uh, in the church at Antioch, there It says there was prophets and teachers and, 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 and teaching going on. In Acts chapter 19, 12 disciples in Ephesus received the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and started prophesying. Uh, Philip, in, in chapter 27, says he had four daughters who were, who were, were prophets. Uh, Agabus, a prophet from Jerusalem, comes up and, and, and preaches, uh, speaks to Peter from Jerusalem uh, and, and, and tells him, hey, Peter, don't go to Jerusalem. And he did it very graphically, tied, about tying his hands and his feet together with, with Peter's uh, belt, his sash, around his jacket. This is what's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem, and you're going to end up in the hands of the Gentiles, this type of thing. And, and uh, you know, all of the things that go on. The book of Acts is an exciting book. It's, a, it, it's fun to, just to repeat it. I encourage you, you know, there's the there's history of the beginning of the church right there, and it's, and it's an excitement. So I was looking at that and seeing that, you know, there's been seasons in our, in our church history where God has moved powerfully, just like in the book of Acts. But some of the things that went kind of wrong in the process were how certain events and activities that, that God poured, allowed to happen in a specific point at a specific time, people walked away and said, oh, okay, that's how we do church from now on. And if we don't have this happening, church hasn't happened. If we don't have this happening, church hasn't happened. And they're looking for new and exciting different ways and some cases, even to the point where if, if, if the crescendo doesn't keep expanding, i.e., the music gets louder, or, the, 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 or whatever, uh, over a season, a period of time, if there's not more excitement, if there's not more, then I, I'm going to go have to go someplace else where I can find it. And, and it was interesting to hear Jonathan Edwards, Wesley, Whitfield, and others warn about these things. Spurgeon and others warn about these things. In fact, we got to the point in the 1830s, late 1830s, and maybe the 1840s, where uh, a number of evangelists had figured out how to manufacture revival. We can really get you going if we just do this, 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 and this. And they did get you excited, and they did get you emotional. But it didn't seem to stick. Now, I'll come back to, I look at what was happening in the books of Acts, and what was it? They were turning the world upside down. What that meant was that they were messing up the order of things in the sense of general, day to day, public way of looking at things. Now, if the non believers and, and 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 the people who don't like the Christians are looking at them and saying they're turning the world upside down, some of you have heard this before, I know, but then what must have actually been happening from a spiritual point of view? What's the inverse? the world was being turned right side up in the framework of, of the way God would, you know, and, and, and the spiritual. And that, again, got me to thinking. What is it that I want personally? What I want for you? What I'd like to see in, in Eel River Valley? What I'd like to see across our nation? And, and, and I know other other Christians across the nation all saying the same thing. We would love to see the idea of a revival in the sense of of the honoring of God and his word moving across the nation. I feel there's been many attempts to manufacture it, even in my lifetime. Uh, we We had a very interesting Sunday one Sunday. We had a guest speaker from Lodi, How many of you remember Pastor Hill came and preached? Our service started at 10, and we were done sometime around 1.30. Anybody here have a vague recollection of that? Okay. I had uh, a Baptist pastor from, from the Valley. Uh, I'd heard speak many times, heard tapes, uh, and uh, He was up here as part of a a conference. And we had the opportunity, uh, the people putting on the conference were trying to book the different uh, pastors into different churches that had supported the conference. And so they they asked if, if we would be glad to take one of them. I said, sure, who do we get? And they said, Hill, I was excited. Now, during that time, church had moved in an interesting format in sometimes divisive ways. How many of you recall being the the phrase in the river? Being in the river. Okay. Well, what I didn't know was that Pastor Hill had recently gotten in the river. Now, I I say this slowly for you in the sense of I want you to be sure and grasp this. I have no doubt in Pastor's relationship with Christ whatsoever. Period. I want you to know that right up front. But the idea was if we could just again, there was a sense of manufacturing going on a little bit, just a sense of hype coming from the pulpit. But then there's something had, did happen that I don't think he even expected. He just started preaching. It was an amazing hour and a half. And at the end of the hour and a half, he said, well, who needs to come forward for prayer? Everybody that was there came forward for prayer. Lutheran backgrounds, Presbyterian backgrounds, Pentecostal backgrounds, didn't matter, came forward for prayer. In fact, one guy who had been prayed for for years for his salvation came forward and received the Lord that day. And it it turned into one of the most interesting services I had ever been a part of in my life. It was interesting that the next morning, you know, we live in a small area, because the next morning I got a couple of phone calls from good friends that says, hey, Bob, we understand you're in the river now. <laughs> and my reference to that was I didn't know I never was. <laughs> I didn't know I was ever out. And they said, what do you mean? I'll give you my explanation at this point. I said, do you realize that river takes, to be a healthy river, takes slow water, fast water, deep water, still water even some stagnant water at times for a river to be healthy. Oh, oh, okay. Well, it was nice talking to you. Bye. <laughs> you know, we, 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 I, I didn't need a label for it. I had seen God use this man. And somebody says, would you have him back? I don't know that I would have had him back under the circumstances because of some of the other things that, you know, where he was headed with some of his theology at that point. But I would never take that service back, ever, because I saw God move. And there was a mini revival that day. There's a gentleman, pastor, teacher, in fact, a pastor's pastor. I'd never met him. I'd listened to him several times, but I'd never met him. Uh, I know Levi had met him, Steve Fernandez. And, you know, he was the, the pastor of, of, I guess, Community b- Bible Church, and, and, and the, the seminary is Cornerstone Seminary. Founded that uh, in Vallejo. In fact, that's where Levi goes. Uh, pastor Steve passed away last March. Uh, born in 1948, so that makes him uh, makes him uh, a year older than me. He passed away last March. But he, I really appreciated, because he could he could write in a small space what a lot of people used up volumes to, and I call it sometimes padding to, in their books. When Christ Sends Revival, this could have been a 200-page book easily. But I found some interesting thoughts in here. And rather than try to just, I'm just going to share them with you. First off, he wanted to say that the premise for writing this, the church needs more. Now listen carefully. I want you to, first I want you to understand, this guy is dyed in the wool, restored, orthodox in a sense in his theology, just absolutely conservative. So keep that in mind as as you you listen. The church needs more than orthodoxy and correct beliefs. Don't misunderstand me. The church is in great need of a return to Christ-centered ministry and a return to the preaching and the teaching of the basic truths of the gospel. In fact, I don't believe there can be a revival apart from this. However, having said that, the church always has and always will need more than this. It needs the power and the presence of Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit. He quoted Charles Spurgeon several times in this book, and one of them was, let God send the fire of his spirit here. And when normally when we hear somebody start talking about fire and spirit, we kind of get nervous if we're, non, you know, if we're not Pentecostals, and yet here's Spurgeon, you're not going to get much conserv- more conservative than this. You know, let God send the fire of his... By the way, those are biblical words. Spurgeon's emphasis on the fire of the Spirit was disturbing and bothersome to some in his day, and for that matter, this day. So this is our premise. With Spurgeon, it is recognized that revival assumes that the church needs more than correct beliefs. It needs a visitation as it were, of power, power from Christ through his Holy Spirit. He looks at Martin Lloyd-Jones. He quotes him frequently as well. And out of Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Revival, pages 58 and 72, he, he, he takes this picture. It is very familiar. And this is jones Martin Lloyd-Jones speaking. It is a very familiar snare which traps evangelical people and orthodox people. You can be orthodox but dead. That that was kind of an interesting statement. Why? Well, because you are stopping at at the doctrines, you are stopping at at the definitions. He goes on to say, there is indeed churches today perfectly orthodox yet are quite dead. Why? It's because they remain only at the level of doctrine, this intellectual concern and this intellectual correctness. It is a terrible thing to substitute even true doctrines for a uh, living realization of the person of Christ. The idea that God may suddenly visit his people and descend upon them, the whole thrill of being in the presence of God and sensing his nearness and his power never enters their imaginations. The whole thing is formal. It is smug, contentment. How often does this vital idea enter into our minds that we are in the presence of the living God, that the Holy Spirit is in the church and in us, that we may feel the touch of his power. Is there not this appalling danger that we are just content because we have correct beliefs and we have lost the life, the vital thing, the power, the thing that really makes worship, worship, which is in spirit and in truth, quoting out of John chapter 4. I found that just amazing because again, an ultra-conservative person really. Um, Another place uh, he's talking about uh, unless the spirit is present, the ministry of the word is ineffectual in subduing the hearts of sinners and captivating the hearts of saints. I, I, there's, there was a lot more that I would have if I had the time to share with you out of that book, uh, booklet, I guess you might call it. But just getting the, grasping the point here. What was going on in those great awakenings? What was going on in the book of Acts was that there was a moving simultaneously, if you will, of the power of the Holy Spirit because people were receptive, and and the, and the preaching. I mean, the, Jonathan Edwards wasn't it he read his sermons? He just read his sermons. He didn't, you know, the you know, he, he and, and look what happened, <laughs> you know, it, you know, so. It has nothing to do with this part of it. It has to do with this part of it. Moving with this part of it. Okay? And, and so, so, like I said, so often we get sidetracked with the events and the, and the excitement and some of the enthusiastic things that might have happened. Uh, there were people who, like I said, were weeping. And, and, and you know, we, we hear the word slayed in the spirit. But some of that actually happened in some of the great awakening times where people, they fell in misery over their sins. And actually, because of joy over their salvation. But to make that church every Sunday, that wasn't the point. I got to this point, and I wrestled with some things. And thanks to BJ and Levi yesterday morning, Bouncing some things around as just casually talking off the subject we were meeting for. Uh, like, what are you preaching on then tomorrow if you're not preaching on prophesy? Uh, <laughs> and, and, and one of those things clicked. you know. And I went back home and I read the book of Acts again. And I realized as I, I had, <laughs> I know you guys have seen my notes before. you know. This is my notes of reading something from the Book of Acts. You know, you know, it's it's writing here, writing there. This isn't as graphic as some of them, but I had all these events. I just, you know, this event, that event, this event, that event, all those things, and and so I'm saying, sit down, let's look at this again. And as amazing as the events were, what preceded and followed. Generally speaking, every one of the events, but every one of them preceded by the gospel being proclaimed. Over 26 times in the book of Acts, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was proclaimed. That was, this is the thing that Steve Fernandez was talking about in his book. He says, we don't have to find something new to preach about. We don't have to find something new to do. We don't have to ask the Holy Spirit to do anything he hasn't done before. All we need to do is preach his word and be receptive and ask the Holy Spirit to move in us. Many revivals individually, corporate revival collectively, and who knows, as we pray with a lot of other churches for the Lord to move in a fallen country, in a place that seems to be going crazy. Well, it's happened before. And I'm convinced it will happen again. I'm not going to tell you when, because I don't know. What I do know is what my responsibility is to do: preach Jesus Christ. And I looked at this, and I and I realized, uh, as as I was going through this, that just just share one message from Peter, and 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 uh, John, uh, Acts chapter four. Uh, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now, what were they doing? They were speaking or proclaiming. What do you, what, what do you think they were proclaiming based on chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Acts? The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Great, uh, he was, so they're preaching uh, at the temple. And the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. See, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They were a group of, a, one party of the uh, the liberals, if you will, within the framework of the the, the Jewish groups, and, and, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't, they, they're angels, a lot of things. And they arrested them, and they put them into custody. This is, you know, uh, <clears throat> Peter and John, and put them in custody. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came uh, to be about 5,000. Acts chapter 2, first day, 3,000. Now we're we're talking about 5,000 men. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, uh, the high priest, and and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were in the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power? Or by what name did you do this? And by, by the way, that was having to do with, uh, you know, uh, a healing. But the Peter, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, and it was the same council who had crucified Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by his, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus, and here it comes, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among them by which we must be saved. Those are the messages over and over and over in the book of Acts. And so uh, as we come to communion this morning, keep that in mind that what it is that causes revival is the proclaiming of the gospel of Christ and what he has done. It has nothing to do with, with, with advertising, with, with programs, methodology, you know, I, I'm not opposed to people doing these things. I'm just saying, you know, it has to do with preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. And the proclaiming means all of us proclaiming the gospel. The priesthood of believers standing united, proclaiming the gospel in their community. Okay? So as we take communion and understand, again, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the whole reason that we got here. Uh, ask the ushers to come forward and uh, pass the communion and hold it till we've all been served, and we'll share together.
0: delight, visions of rapture now burst in my sight, angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love, this is my story, this is my song, Savior all the day long this is my story this is my song praising my Savior all the day long perfect perfect submission all is at rest My Savior Am happy and blessed Watching and waiting Looking above Filled with His goodness Lost in His love This is my story This is my song Praising my Savior my Savior all the day long.
1: I was just thinking as we sang that, this is my story. This is my story, you know, this is my song, but this is my story. And how often we'll say something, and you know, this is my story and I stand by it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, kind of like, far-fetched. No, this is my story and I do stand by it. Jesus came in the flesh, incarnate, God in the flesh, emptied himself and came as a man. And he used the bread at the Last Supper to represent the picture of his flesh, becoming a man, his flesh, God in the flesh. He said, this is my flesh, broken for you. And he asked us to eat the bread, and as often as we would do this, that we would do it in remembrance of him. And then taking the cup and giving the disciples a picture that they still did not understand even afterwards at that point. He said, this is my blood that's poured out for you to purchase the covenant. As often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me until I come again. Father, we thank you that we have blessed assurance. I mean, I, I know the words aren't scripture, but they so reflect our heart. Oh, what a foretaste. Just right now, coming to the table together is a foretaste of the marriage feast. Mm-hmm. And we know we're a part of that. Even though it's ahead of us, it's not here yet, we know we're a part of that. Blessed assurance. Thank you, Lord. We are heir of salvation. We have been purchased by you. We are born of the Spirit indwelling in us, and we have been washed in the blood of Christ. Thank you. And this is my story, and I will stand by it. We ask, Lord, that you would go with us, cause us to be the men and women of, of, of God that you need us to be in our homes, in, a, in, in our workplace, in our recreation, and, and Lord, in, in our community. Give us the boldness that Acts chapter 4 talks about to proclaim the gospel in our lives, and in our words, we've given the opportunity. We worship you. We thank you for the grace that has been poured out. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you stand as we...